What's up, everybody? Andy Patton here. Battle in Seattle is Saturday, and this episode is set up to prepare everybody for a great bout between Gonzaga and Alabama. We're talking matchups to watch. We're talking what kind of offense and defense we're going to see from the Crimson Tide. Questions to answer. So much more. We're going to talk a little Zags in the NBA at the end as well. All right here, Locked On Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another excellent season of Gonzaga hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football, Go to Sonos.com to learn more. I also want to thank all of you who make this this show your first listen of the day and remind you that we are officially live on YouTube. If you haven't checked it out yet, go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button, trying to get to 200 subscribers before I sit in the seats at the new Climate Pledge Arena on Saturday evening, 5 p.m. when the Zags take on Alabama. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. But today's episode, as you probably guessed, we're talking Alabama, Gonzaga. We're talking battle in Seattle. So great to have this game back, to have fans in the in the attendance. I know that so many Gonzaga fans rely on this game as an opportunity to actually see the team in person because it's really difficult to get games, uh, tickets to games in Spokane, obviously. So many Zags alumni live in Seattle or the greater Seattle area, so it's a super fun opportunity for that. It's always fun when they play a good team. Obviously, Alabama, a very, very good team. We're going to get right into that right now. This first segment is just a preview of Alabama, of Nate Oates' squad, what they're going to look like, what they're going to bring to the table. For starters, they are the 16th-ranked team in the country as of this recording. They are 6-1 and one on the season. Ken Palm likes them a little bit more than that. Ken Palm has them number 12. So this is a top 20 matchup. This is a borderline top 10 matchup. At times it looked like Alabama might creep into the top 10. They unfortunately are only 6-1 and one on the year. They did drop a game to the Iona Gales, which has pushed them further down the rankings. They're still right in contention in the SEC with Tennessee, with Kentucky, a really, really strong basketball conference this year. And Alabama's going to be right in the thick of things. It's a little unfair that Bama, I guess their football team is not quite as good as they've been in the past, so maybe they can make up for it by having a great basketball program as well. They are 11th in the country in offense, according to Ken Palm, and 30th in defense. So this is a balanced team. You know, usually any team that's in the top 20 is probably going to be pretty good in both categories. It's rare, really difficult to be outside of the top 50 in either offense or defense and still be a top 20 team. So you'd expect them to be good on both ends of the floor. More of a offensive team than a defensive team, which is why I expect this to be a high-scoring affair, particularly if Gonzaga can kind of find their way offensively, which has been a which was certainly a struggle against Tarleton State. They scored 81 points against Duke, so it wasn't a struggle, but... Anybody who watched that game knows that they were uh, not quite in their rhythm offensively, certainly. Uh, Alabama's played a decent schedule. Not a great schedule, but a decent schedule. Their six wins are over Louisiana Tech, South Dakota State, South Alabama, 
Oakland, Drake, and Miami. Of course, the loss to Iona, 72-68 to was the score in that one. Alabama's offense really, really just didn't get going in that one. It was a, a bummer of a loss for them. Uh, makes Gonzaga's win not quite as sweet, assuming they get it on Saturday. But still, again, this is, this is a really good squad. Alabama really pushed mid-December was when they wanted to have their challenging schedules. Obviously, they got Gonzaga on the 4th. They're playing number 15-ranked Houston on the 11th and number 18-ranked Memphis on the 14th. Memphis will likely not be ranked that high by the time that game comes around. They have really struggled this week. But either way, this is a nice stretch of games for the Crimson Tide. Getting into this team a little bit more, they have a really good backcourt. And not only is their backcourt really good, they're big and physical. If you're wincing a little bit hearing that, you probably should be. They have the kind of team and talent to match up with Gonzaga effectively, especially after the last two games of really seeing Gonzaga's flaws. Now, obviously, the turnovers and the three-point shooting have been significant flaws for the Zags. Those things need to get corrected. And I don't know that Alabama is any more equipped to to frustrate them on that on those two particular things more than the other teams, but they are going to be good at harassing Gonzaga's guards as soon as they get across half court. This is something Duke did very effectively. We knew they would because they have such a talented backcourt, because the, Mike Krzyzewski is a good coach. They just knew what to do. They they took the Baylor blueprint and and executed it very well, obviously leading to the victory. And then we saw Tarleton, Tarleton State do it too. Now, Tarleton State, obviously not the caliber of team as Duke or Alabama, which is why it was frightening. Tarleton State is a team that has played every team they've played this year really close. So was, while they were a 1-5 and five team, they played Michigan really close. They played Stanford really close. So I think it's partly the way that they play basketball, their style. Billy Gillespie is a good coach there. But having two consecutive games where Gonzaga's guards got frustrated and turnover prone against big physical guards leading into a game against a team with three big physical talented guards is cause for concern there is there is no other way to look at it this is not probably not going to be UCLA where they come out and just you know rack up a 15 point lead and coast the rest of the game I would be surprised to see that happen in this game Javon Quinterly is their star six foot one guard, super, super efficient, came off the bench last year, but was one of their best players. Now he's averaging 14 and a half points, three and a half rebounds, three and a half assists per game. He's a great isolation scorer, which I think we're going to see a lot of is him trying to get an isolation against either Nempart or Bolton and try to take them one on one, something he's going to be able to do. Of course, there then you have to get by Chet Holmgren if he's trying to get to the rim. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out for him. Jaden Shacklefoot. Jaden Shackleford, excuse me, six foot three combo guard, averaging 18 per game, 6.4 rebounds as a 6'3 guard. That's Joel Ayayi esque and one and a half assists. He's a really good outside shooter, shooting 39% from three. He also moves really well without the ball, also Joel Ayayi esque. So you can kind of think if, if Joel was the leading scorer on this team and a slightly better three point shooter. That's sort of what we're looking at out of Shackleford. And then Keon Ellis, six foot six combo guard wing. He kind of plays all five positions, a little Draymond Green esque, averaging 13.5.7.3 rebounds as a six six guard, 1.9 assists, also shooting 47% from three. Not a huge amount of attempts, but 47% from three while averaging seven boards per game as a 6'6", 230-plus pound guard. He's going to be a problem. Former junior college All-American, 
now in his second season at Alabama. Really good defensive player. That's his primary role on this team. He's going to be the person causing problems for Andrew Nembhard, for Ros Bolton, for those guys when they get the ball across half court. Bama also has four other guys averaging between seven and eight and a half points per game. They are super balanced. There are not a lot of teams that have the kind of balance that Gonzaga does scoring, you know, one through eight. Bama does. They have a lot of scoring. They can get it from a lot of different places. That is another thing that makes it makes them harder to game plan against. You don't know who's going to go off. You can say, we're going to stop this guy and this guy. We've seen teams struggle with that against Gonzaga where they say, well, maybe we just let Drew do his thing and Drew scores 37. Maybe we try to shut him down and then you have Nembhard have a career game. You know, they just, it makes it more difficult. That's going to be the case with Bama. You know, the Zags can come out and say, we really want to stop Jaden Shackelford. And they may be able to do that, but Quinterly might have 17. He might have 26. You know, Keon Ellis might have a double-double. Like, you're, you're gonna, you kind of have to pick your poison a little bit with Alabama. And I think the best way to beat them is to score more points than them because they are a good, you know, they're the 11th best team in the country offensively, according to Ken Palm. So Gonzaga is going to need to score more points than them. And that's going to be the biggest kind of the biggest aspect of this game is really who can get into their offensive rhythm better. Now, the, a key here, a huge key, and we'll talk more keys in the second segment, but for right now, they don't have a ton of size. Their biggest player is freshman forward slash center Charles Bediaco, seven foot, 225 pounds, so kind of thin. You know, still got 30 pounds on Chet, but who, who doesn't have 30 pounds on Chet? Uh, he's a back-to-the-basket, low-post, throwback center. Think poor man's Mark Williams, the player from Duke. And I say poor man's not as an insult to Betty Ako, more as a compliment because Mark Williams is really, really good. But he's averaging seven points, five boards, one and a half blocks per game. That's fairly similar. He's going to be a good shot blocker. He's going to demand the ball low in the point. He's going to try to get Timmy and Holmgren in foul trouble. That's going to be his style of play. He's a huge key in this game. If he can effectively play good defense on either Drew or Chet and neutralize them, block some of their shots, force them into taking ugly shots or force them into going to the free throw line, especially where Drew struggles a little bit, although he was good against Tarleton State. If he can have Bediaco can have that kind of game. That's going to be a big factor for Alabama. Their other big man is Noah Gurley. He's only 6'8", 210. He plays much more like Killian Tilly or Ben Gregg. He's not even as big as Tilly. He's more Ben Gregg size. A stretch four, you know, doesn't play doesn't play under the basket very much offensively. Not a ton, not a great defensive player, although adequate. He's in the right spot. He he uses his size well. So that'll be the interesting one to me. He's probably the guy who's going to guard Chet Holmgren. That's a good matchup for Gonzaga. Chet Holmgren on most teams is a good matchup. You know, Mark Williams was one of the few players that really kind of frustrated him. In this game, if Timmy's guarding, or if Bediaco's guarding Timmy and Gurley's guarding Chet Holmgren, the Zags really need to find ways to get Chet the ball either away from the rim and clear out so he can try to take him or get him the ball under the basket so he can try to score that way. That's going to be a big key for this one. Beyond that, though, while Alabama doesn't have a ton of size, they are a really good rebounding team. Top six in the country. They're sixth overall in total rebounds, or rebounds per game, excuse me. So that's going to be another factor here is how Gonzaga has not struggled to rebound the basketball this year. They have frequently been much better than the opposing teams. If Alabama can get a lot of offensive rebounds or not let Gonzaga get very many or any offensive rebounds, if they can clean up the glass really well, that's going to keep this game a lot closer than it maybe would be otherwise. So that's another factor to watch for. All right, quick look at the Crimson Tide, what kind of game we can expect. 
I think it's going to be a barn burner. I think it's going to be super fun. We need to see Gonzaga make some of those adjustments that we've been talking about all week after the Tarleton State debacle. That's going to be one of the many things we're going to talk about here in the second segment, just detailing my five things that I'll specifically be watching for on Saturday. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment two, still talking. Gonzaga basketball, still talking. The battle in Seattle, Zags versus Bama. Climate Pledge Arena, 5 p.m. on Saturday, going to be one of the most fun games of the season. I can feel it. I'm really excited about this game, not just because I'm going, although that is a factor. I'm taking my dad. It's his 60th birthday. Super excited about that. If you're there, say hi. Shoot me a message on te- on uh, Twitter, ScoreZagScore. Would love to say hi to all of you. Going to be a super fun game. Here are the five things in particular that I'm going to be watching for in this game. Number one, obviously alluded to it in the first segment, alluded to it every episode (laughs) this week. Uh, Are the Zags going to adjust to pressure on the perimeter? This is not will Alabama put pressure on Gonzaga's guards on the perimeter because they are absolutely going to do that. If they watch the Baylor game, which I know they did, if they watch the Duke game, which I'm sure they did, if they watch the Tarleton State game, which I'm pretty sure they did, if they saw the score, they thought, how can we play like that? If they watched all those games, they noticed, hey, we need to body these dudes up as soon as they get across half court, make things difficult for Andrew Nembhard, for Rasir Bolton, for Julian Strother, Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman. Make it harder because every other team was letting Gonzaga try to make those entry passes. And the teams were focused, particularly Texas and UCLA, were focused on how do we stop Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren when they get the ball? Do we double team? Do we send the double right away? Like, where do we send the double team from, et cetera, et cetera. And and the other teams figured out, why don't we just do everything we can to prevent those guards from getting the basketball to Drew and Chet? And it was effective. Again, Gonzaga still scored 81 points against Duke, but they struggled in the first half offensively before they made some adjustments, before Duke obviously had the the situation with Bancaro and kind of just slowed down a little bit. Gonzaga really struggled against Tarleton State, mostly in the first half, but into the second half as well. Part of that was just they were having an off night, but part of it was Tarleton State really making it hard to get the ball to Drew Timmy. He took two shots in that Tarleton State game, two field goals. He took a lot of free throws, which is good, but two shots. That's the kind of thing that Alabama is going to try to do. And so for me, the biggest thing I'm going to be watching for is do the Zags make adjustments? I don't know exactly what those adjustments will be. If I did, I would try to go coach the team. I'm going to let Stephen Gentry, Roger Powell, Brian Michelson, Mark Few on that whole staff figure that out on their own. But I want to see them make adjustments. I want to see them either get the ball to Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren sooner, potentially uh, find another way to get the basketball out of the guards' hands in situations where they can get bodied and physically trapped up at the top of the key because that was... They just kind of waited for those traps to come and waited to get that that physical defense from those guys, and it didn't work. So we need to see them do something differently in this game. 
Number two, this is a key almost every single game. How is Alabama going to guard Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren? Are they going to just try to put a lot of pressure on the guards, or are they going to do something differently? Are they going to front the big men? Are they going to double-team them as soon as they get the ball? What if they get the ball farther from the rim? Are they going to try to take away the high-low offense, which has been such a huge part of Gonzaga's offense this year, particularly with Chet Holmgren up at the top of the key and Drew Timmy down in the paint? Are they going to take that away? Are they going to go zone? Something I think a lot of teams are going to do this year, but we haven't seen as much that I, I thought we'd see more zones than we have. I think Gonzaga is well-equipped to defeat the zone, particularly if Chet Holmgren is in the game. But they're a bad three-point shooting team, and they have two really big physical big men. Usually that's a recipe for, hey, let's go zone. Let's try to neutralize the big men and make them shoot over the zone. We'll see if Alabama is willing to attempt to do that or not, or if they're not, how they're going to try to stop Drew and Chet from, from getting their buckets. Number three, will Gonzaga's defense make an appearance? (laughs) Gonzaga has had one of the best defenses in the country up until the Tarleton State game where they just looked bad. There's no other way to put it. You know, we can look at that Tarleton State game and talk about Gonzaga's bad outside shooting and talk about all the turnovers and talk about how their guards were big and physical and that challenged Gonzaga's guards in a way that we expected them to adjust to after the Duke game. But really, one of the big factors in that game was Gonzaga's defense was bad. Their perimeter defense was bad. The the post defense was fine. Chet Holmgren had a couple blocks. He looked good because he's a great shot blocker. But the perimeter defense was bad. They weren't in the passing lanes. They weren't getting a lot of steals or a lot of takeaways or knocking the ball around. They they looked passive. They looked tired. They, they They didn't look like they had it. I think that there was some fatigue from the Duke game. I think there was some kind of a hangover from that game uh, and a week in Vegas. It's just difficult. So I think that some of that will just be corrected by having four days off, by playing in Seattle, by um, being pissed off about how the last two games have gone. But I'm curious to see what that looks like because Alabama is a good offensive team. This is one of the best offensive teams Gonzaga is going to play all season long. At worst, they're probably third best offense that they're going to play. They might even be higher than that. So that's it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for guys like Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman. It's going to be a challenge for Andrew Nembhard and Rasir Bolton, who are not great defensive players. Julian Strother, who has proven himself to be a very good defensive player, he's going to have his hands full if he's the one guarding Keon Ellis. Of course, the big men are going to have... They're going to have shots to block. They're going to have rebounds to collect. This is a great rebounding team, so they're going to need to clean up the glass really well. If Gonzaga has a lackluster defensive effort, Bama's going to score 85 points. Gonzaga can still win if they give up 85 points, but it's a hell of a lot harder. I would love to see them bottle them up as best as possible. Bama's still going to probably get 75. Like This is just a good scoring team. But I, if, if you tell me Alabama scores 75 points, I think there's a 90-plus percent chance that Gonzaga wins that game. But if Bama scores 85 or 90, that's going to be a little bit tougher. Number four, I kind of alluded to this too. How much do the young guys play? Nolan Hickman seems to have a role knock, locked down. He is playing. He plays in every single game. He plays a legitimate role every game. So I'm not worried about him. He's going to get his moments. He's going to be on the, on the floor. He's going to play against these good physical guards from Alabama. I'm excited to see what he does. What about Hunter Salas? Salas has been spotty. He only played four minutes against Texas. We didn't see him a whole lot against Duke. We didn't see him a whole lot against Tarleton State. He played well in the spot minutes that he got in those games. He picked up a couple fouls against Tarleton State, which was part of the reason that he sat on the bench. But are we going to see more of him? This is a great opportunity for him. He's a freak athlete, hyper, hyper athletic, very talented young man. But this is a team that can challenge him. This is a group that could really make 
make him have to use his smarts, his basketball IQ, his overall skill in ways that he hasn't really been challenged yet because when Gonzaga has played these good big teams, he hasn't really played. So do we get to see him in this game? Do we get to see him take take advantage of opportunities and go out there and play a really good game against a really good team? Is Caden Perry cleared to play? The last thing we heard is that he is out with back in, with a back injury, the back, same back injury that cost him most of his senior season in high school. It's listed as back spasms. He's listed as day-to-day. I don't think he's going to play very many minutes in this game at all, but there's a, I think he'll play if he's healthy, and so it'll be interesting to see that. And then, of course, Ben Gregg, same thing. We didn't see Ben Gregg against Tarleton State, even with Caden Perry out. It doesn't look like he's much really in the rotation. Caden Perry seems to be ahead of him right now if he's healthy, but I'm not sure how much we'll see either of those guys in this game. And then number five, Climate Pledge Arena. I'm excited to see the new arena. I know not everybody here is a Seattle person. Obviously, that's fine. I used to live in Seattle. I don't anymore. I live down in Oregon, so I'm going to be driving up to the game on Saturday. It's a cool arena. I'm curious to see what it looks like as a basketball arena because primarily it has been a hockey arena, of course, for the new Seattle Kraken, the NHL team. It has been a concert venue multiple times. So I'm excited to see what it looks like as a basketball arena. Looking forward to reporting back, letting you all know what it's like for the next time Gonzaga plays in the battle in Seattle. All right, so big game coming up on Saturday, plenty to be prepared for, Uh, but we're going to finish this week. Instead of talking about Alabama, we're going to pivot and we're going to talk about the recap for the Zags in the NBA. I try to do this every week. I don't think I did it last week, so it's been two weeks since we talked about how our guys are doing at the next level. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bill Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bill Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Bill Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BillBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BillBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, pivoting away from previewing the Gonzaga versus Alabama game on Saturday evening for the battle in Seattle. Instead, going to talk about Zags in the NBA. There's 10 of them. There's 10 guys to cover. Unfortunately, I used to split them up by like first and second year players and veterans. That was the fun way to split them up now. The way that we split them up is injured and not injured. Uh, It has been a rash, a rash of injuries for Gonzaga players at the next level. It's been very, very unfortunate. The most recent player impacted by this was Jalen Suggs. Suggs suffered a fractured thumb in the fourth quarter on November 30th against the Philadelphia 76ers. He drove into the lane, ran into Joel Embiid. It didn't go great for Jalen Suggs as it doesn't for most people who run into Joel Embiid. Embiid slapped the ball away. Must have got a little bit of Jalen's finger as well. Uh, reported after the game was a fractured thumb. He's going to be evaluated every two weeks, which definitely does not sound like it means he's returning anytime soon. Um, Weeks instead of months is a good sign, but I would not be surprised if we don't see him on the basketball court until middle of January would be kind of a a conservative estimate. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. I don't know exactly uh, what the timeline looks like here, but it seems like he's not going to play at least for the rest of the calendar year. 2021. Uh, he had 17 and five in that game before he got hurt. Was having one of his better games. Uh, he's been on a upward trajectory. He started out really slow. Uh, he still hasn't been great. He's had m- more good games recently uh, for the season. He's averaging 12.1 points, 3.4 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Only shooting 34% from the field and just under 25% from three. 
Those are the things that need to come up. He's also averaging three and a half turnovers per game. Stuff that will get fixed in time. It's a bummer that this injury is happening for a lot of reasons, but mostly it just hurts his development time. This is not going to be a good season for the Orlando Magic. So him going out there, making mistakes, missing shots, learning from those things, getting better is what he needs to do. And being hurt, he just he just can't do that. <laughs> Hopefully, though, a break, a six, five, six weeks or so off will get him back on track and he'll come out and just be great for the second half of the year. That's kind of my my optimistic take on this potential injury for him. Kelly Linick is next. He's got a knee sprain. He's out for three more weeks. He's already been out for three weeks. It was reported that it would be a roughly six-week injury for the big man. Uh, 12 and a half points, five boards, two and a half assists in a reserve role for the Detroit Pistons. They could really use him right now, especially after Isaiah Stewart took a two-game suspension for sprinting at LeBron James, which was quite funny if you haven't seen the video of former Washington alumni and Stewart, but Kelly will be back. He'll be back to his own normal self as soon as he's healthy, but it's never fun to see a 30 plus year old seven foot guy suffer a knee sprain because that, uh, you know, those can linger for a little bit. Zach Collins still out with a foot injury. Um, they said he's gonna be out past Christmas. Um, he returned to practice though last week, which is great news for the Spurs. It's the first time being back in a long time. Um, he's first time practicing with the Spurs at all. Obviously he signed with them after being with the Portland Trailblazers for a long time. No official word on when he'll be back. The last thing was Popovich saying past Christmas. The fact that he's doing shooting drills and stuff means it could be around Christmas. The expectation that I've read is that he's going to take a pretty big role with the Spurs when he's healthy, which is not what I initially thought. So I'm happy to hear that. It means they have a lot of confidence in him. They're excited about what he can bring to the floor, uh, but he's got to get healthy first. And hopefully that happens before the end of the calendar year, although it's going to be close. And then finally, of course, Rui Hachimura. Rui is Back, sort of, he's on the team bench for the Washington Wizards. Um, He's nearing a return to game action. He is not quite there yet. Uh, He's been shooting around with the team. He's been doing some training with the G League affiliate, the Capital City Go-Go's, where Joe Eliai is also playing. We'll get to him in a second. But Rui, who's been out for personal reasons for the entire season, uh, there's not a lot of specifics about this uh, absence that he's had, but he is back. He's with the team. He's been on the bench for their last game. It sounds like he's going to be back on the floor soon. So we're all just kind of keeping our fingers crossed that he gets back into physical game shape enough to get on the floor and hopefully feels okay enough mentally to to start playing basketball again because we miss watching him. Okay, and the non-injured guys, we got to start, of course, with DeMontis Sabonis, two-time All-Star, looking like he's going to be a three-time All-Star. He's averaging 17.5 points, 12 boards, four assists on the season. His numbers are very similar to what he put up in 2019-2020, which was his first All-Star season. They're down a bit from last year, which was a really, really good year for Sabonis last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't ever quite top that because those numbers were outstanding. But still, 17, 12, and 4 is great. It's all-star caliber numbers once again. He's looked really good lately. He started out the year a little bit rocky. He had 23 points, 18 rebounds against Toronto on the 26th of November. Followed that up with 16 points, 25 boards, and 10 assists against the Timberwolves, a game that the Pacers unfortunately lost. Sabonis had a triple-double with 25 rebounds, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, I know Hakeem Olajuwon has done it. I think Will Chamberlain has done it. I believe there was one other player. It might have been LeBron, actually. But he's in a very, very specific class of player who has done that. 25 rebounds in a triple-double performance. Outstanding game from Sabonis. He's back. He's still doing awesome stuff. It's been great to see. Next up, Brandon Clark for the Memphis Grizzlies. 
Seven and a half points, four and a half rebounds, one and a half assists on the year. He's up to 16 minutes per game, which is still way down from what he averaged in his first two seasons in the NBA. But his role is increasing. He started out the year playing like nine or ten minutes per game, which was very baffling. Now it seems like Memphis is starting to figure out, hey, we should play this guy more because he was good in his first two years and we drafted him in the first round and it turns out he's just a good basketball player. In the last eight games... Clark's averaged 10 points, 5.5 boards, 2 assists. He's shooting 73.3% from the field. I repeat, three-fourths of the shots that Brandon Clark are taking in the last eight games have gone in. That is ridiculous. We all know Brandon Clark, hyper-efficient scorer. That is what he's always been. 10 points per game on 73% shooting. Again, eight games, very small sample size. But how do you not play that guy more? He's starting to get in his groove. It seems like they're going to figure out more of a role for him as the year goes on. I'm optimistic that Memphis is starting to realize that he's a guy who needs to play more minutes per game. They have a talented front court. I get it. But these numbers are insane. Like, he needs to play more minutes. And if he doesn't, they need to figure out a place to put him where he'll play more minutes, by by which I mean a trade. Showcase him for a little bit. Get him out of there. Somebody else will take him, play him 30 minutes per night, and he's going to be awesome. Next up, Corey Kispert, another player who is unfortunately not getting the minutes that I think as a biased Gonzaga fan, he probably deserves. Uh, Washington's in a weird spot because of all the players they acquired in the Russell Westbrook trade. He's just been kind of pushed out of the rotation. He's only playing 12 and a half minutes per game. Three and a half points, two boards, half an assist. Uh, he picked up a do not did not play coach's decision on the 26th, which is surprising. That means he's maybe not even always in the rotation every single day. He also had a career-high 13 points on the 18th. Uh, his shot just hasn't been falling. That's the biggest thing for Corey is I I think he deserves to be playing more, and I think that they, the Wizards took him 15th overall with the intention of playing him more. But he's not doing enough with his minutes. He deserves – like some of this is because of his performance. He's shooting 21.5% from three. 20, 21%. That's just not – like his main role in the NBA, I know he's more skilled than just a three-point shooter, but that's the main reason – that he got drafted. And if he's going to shoot less than 22%, he becomes really hard to play. And that number is obviously going to come up. I'm not worried about him as an outside shooter. He's one of the most pure shooters I've ever seen. He's going to get better at it, but it does explain why, hey, we, we, we got a lot of veteran guys in a trade. We have to find minutes for them. You're a rookie. You're shooting 22%. Like we just can't get you into the rotation right now. I think by the end of the year, he'll be playing a lot more minutes per game and he'll be in line for a big role next year. But right now things have been a little rough for him to start out. Next up, Killian Tilly, two points, one rebound, half an assist per game. He's played seven games, four of them since the 18th. In the last two games Memphis played, he's over 10 minutes per game. Both of them were blowouts, so I don't know that it, that it's a sign that he is going to play more minutes going forward or just coincidence that they happen to blow two teams. I think one of them they got beat badly and one of them they won. But either way, blowout, so he got to play. In those two games, he shot five for nine from the field, two from five for three, had 12 points, two assists, and three blocks. He's been a really good shot blocker this season and, and towards the end of last season as well. A fun development, a guy who wasn't much of a shot blocker in college. But if he's a stretch four who can hit 40% of his threes and block some shots, He's going to get more minutes too. Where Memphis is going to find these minutes, I don't know. Part of the reason I kind of want them to trade Brandon Clark is because it would open up potentially more playing time for Killian Tilly as well. Two more guys. Kevin Pangos is next. Four points, one rebound, two assists per game. He's only played seven games, and he's only played 21 total minutes, so three minutes per game. Um, He has appeared in each of the last two games for Cleveland, but again, they were both blowouts, so... 
He doesn't seem to be earning any more minutes than just pure garbage time. Even when there was injuries to Ricky Rubio, there was injury stuff to Darius Garland. He still wasn't getting playing time. It's a little baffling. They signed him to a guaranteed NBA contract for two years. You wouldn't sign that guy unless you were expecting to play them a little bit. It doesn't seem to me like he's struggling. He hasn't played particularly great, but he's played 21 minutes. Like, you can't judge a guy for 21 minutes. That's not enough time. So I'm a little baffled by this. I think he deserves to be playing more minutes as well. And then last, Joel Iyayi. Joel has not played in an NBA game since the 18th. He is a two-way player. So same with Killian Tilly. Tilly's been up with the NBA team recently. Joel has not. Again, Washington, tons of dudes on the team. So they just haven't quite found a spot for him. He's been playing mostly in the G League. He's been really good down there. Not surprising at all. He's averaging 12.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 6.7 assists, which 13, 6, and 6 sounds exactly like the Joel Iyayi we all know, we all love. Not surprised that he's killing it in the G League. Looking forward to when he next gets an opportunity to play in the NBA. All right, that is going to do it for today and for this week. I'm looking forward to chatting with you all during the game on Saturday or at the game. Like I said, hit me up if you want to say hi at ScoreZagScore on Twitter. Uh, Of course, looking forward to next week. We've got Mailbag. We've got Andy Locks. We've got a lot more fun stuff coming up all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, of course, available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Podcast links will be available on Twitter at Locked On Zags and on my personal Twitter account, which can be found at ScoreZagScore. Finally, thank you again for making this show your first listen of the day. Now is the next time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs, and it's hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!